Ah, here we go again. Another compliance training. Welcome, and thank you for joining me today to talk about <sighs> fiscal He's compliance so in the new year. Hey, welcome back once again. This is episode 21 of the DIY Narrator podcast. Thank you for downloading and taking the time to listen. This podcast is for the instructional designer who performs their own e-learning narration rather than hiring a professional narrator. My name is Josh Risser and I am a professional voiceover talent and former corporate trainer. This episode is part two of our series on who's it for, and we're digging into that question and ways you can adjust your e-learning narration to account for the answer to the question. Let's refresh your memory with just a little quick recap of the last few episodes. A couple episodes ago, I talked a bit about how I failed at my initial attempt at narrating an e-learning project with a new customer because I wasn't clear when it came to understanding the answer to our question of who is it for. I didn't understand the learner's current level of knowledge and understanding, and I also misjudged the environment that they were learning in and how much time they had available to them. To hear that, go back to episode 19. Last episode, episode 20, I talked about what you can do to adjust your script writing and narration pace based on what you know about who is it for. And now, in episode 21, we're going to jump into some ways to adjust the way you actually say things to make it sound a bit more conversational and more friendly and more like someone teaching and not someone reading a script. Because let's be honest, often when people get a script in front of them, they start sounding very stiff and very robotic. And we need to loosen up when we're narrating, not just physically, but also in how we deliver the words from the paper. Last week, I also promised to give some of you the heebie-jeebies. This is where it might happen, especially if you're a fan of a formal style of speaking. If conversational American English drives you crazy, this is the episode for you. Now we're talking about using a conversational style of speaking in your narration. And if you ask me, you should probably just use it all the time for pretty much every narration project, regardless of the learner. Because most of your learners are people. And conversational English, especially American-style English, is pretty lax in clarity of pronunciation as well as when it comes to things like contractions and some more relaxed speech patterns bordering on slang. If you're still with me and you didn't shut the podcast off, let's first talk about the things you should try to do when it fits in with what you're narrating, and then we'll talk about the things to avoid, and I'll do my best impression of them. So be sure to prepare yourself for that. When it comes to things you should do, it can go back to script writing to make it easier. You just write them in, but sometimes maybe you didn't write the script, so you'll need to do this stuff on the fly. Surprisingly, it gets really easy to do on the fly after you've practiced because I rarely ever am writing my own scripts and this is stuff I do all the time automatically. First, let's talk about contractions. I had a friend that just had a baby, not those kind of contractions. Here are some common things that I frequently change while I'm narrating to make it sound more conversational in the world of contractions and not once have I had a client come back to me for changes. We are becomes we're. We will becomes we'll. Should not shouldn't. And will not becomes won't. These are all contractions you know and understand, so watch out for those opportunities to stick a couple of words together. Now let's talk about the you contractions. And you have to be careful with you contractions or they can sound really weird. 
you will and you are. You don't say you will and you were. Because that sounds like that weird friend of a friend that came over one time wearing a suit to play some board games. It's an annoying attempt to sound formal in the wrong situation. The thing to remember is that these are single-syllable contractions. Just like we're and we'll and shouldn't. No, that doesn't count. Won't. Won't is a good example. Shouldn't, not a good example. Uh, Anyway, one-syllable contractions. So for you will, you'll say you'll. You'll, not you'll. You'll. And for you are, there's a little bit of debate whether or not you should say your or your. Uh, Personally, I don't care. Say whatever comes out. I happen to say whatever comes out at the time, and I'm sure I could find hundreds of examples of both if I wanted to dig through my hundreds of hours of recording. If you're not sure which to use, stick with your. It'll be more widely accepted. And that's like Y-O-R-E. It's not really how you spell the Y-O-U apostrophe R-E is the contraction, but you say it like Y-O-R-E or Y-E-R, your. I probably don't really need to explain that to you. But the debate on your and your is a good segue to the other non-traditional, more slang-like contractions that smash the word of into the previous word. Some examples, lotta, coulda, woulda, shoulda, kinda, sorta, kinda, sorta. Kinda, sorta is not a word. So be sure to use them when appropriate, and you'll also start sounding like a human in no time. There's not really much else to say about those. Then we have other things, like the word, you know, which fits really nicely into the middle of a sentence. For example, in some sort of recap, now that you know the reasons for blah, blah, blah. So if it fits in really well there. I don't really like, you know, at the beginning of a sentence because it makes it seem like some dude leaning on a fence post, you know, like you just, I don't know, it just doesn't work. Now let's talk about the word to. In a lot of cases, you can smash it. I just said a lot of. You can smash it into the other word and get rid of the silly ooh sound. So want to, going to becomes wanna or gonna. Anyone's ears burning yet? This is good. So let's take a look at some of these in action. And maybe you can see how this distortion of the English language, which we Americans do so well, can help you sound like an American person when you're narrating. So take the fragment of this line. What we would like to do is... What we would like to do is. Applying our rules, you'd probably say, what we'd like to do is. So, we contracted we would. We changed to to to. What we'd like to do is. For me, that just rolls off the tongue. What we'd like to do is. Maybe it'll feel weird to you right away, especially if you aren't into the whole lazy English thing. And don't force any of this stuff. But as you get used to it and use it more, you probably will start to come off less as someone reading a script which will help your learners connect more with you and hopefully help the knowledge transfer a little bit better because they'll be hearing comfortable English and they won't necessarily be hearing stiff reading a script English. There are situations where contractions don't always work. Let's look at the word are, which is often contracted. You'll need the word are for emphasis in some cases just to get the point across that you're trying to make. For example, you would want to say something like, in the past we avoided it, but we are going to be accepting Apple Pay. The intent of the sentence is that something has changed, and the R helps pivot that change and show you where the change is. 
but we are going to be accepting Apple Pay. If you smash the R into the we, you end up with something like this. In the past, we avoided it, but we're going to be accepting Apple Pay. You still hear that we're going to be accepting Apple Pay, but you lose the emphasis that there was a change. Really, in this sentence, why would you bother saying in the past we avoided it if you weren't going to emphasize that you've since changed your policy? And as a side note, if you did want to use that contraction, but you wanted to still get some contrast, and now that I'm thinking about it, maybe even a little more contrast, you could add the word now to the second half of the sentence. In the past, we avoided it, but now we're going to be accepting Apple Pay. So that pulls the contrast back into the statement. So you've got past versus now instead of avoided it versus are. Basically, what I'm getting at is you need to understand the intent of what you're saying. And in this case, it's showing that there was a change. As long as you connect yourself to the intent of the sentence, your narration will be much better than it would have been otherwise. And back to the word are really quickly. It's something that's easy to slip into the place of the word our. You want to use the word our when you're saying our and are when you're saying are. You wouldn't say our new policy unless your title be captain. But then it'd be our new policy. And one more footnote on all this conversational stuff, and I touched on it a little bit. It's all personal. Like speech, everyone has their own way of speaking, their own cadence and their own word selections. And ultimately, you make the call on what comes out of your mouth. If it's comfortable for you, it'll sound more like natural speech to your learner. But that's the goal. So take what you want, leave some, add some stuff that I didn't cover because there's plenty of that. And ultimately, make it your own. Now for the fun stuff. What not to do. These are some of the things that are often common in conversational speech that you should avoid. At least in my opinion. Because I find them quite annoying. First, and the most obvious, upspeak. Because when you use upspeak, you don't ever really sound like you know what you're talking about. And that might have been an over-dramatization of it, but in a nutshell, it makes every sentence sound like a question. Or that you aren't quite sure of what you're saying. Or that you're leaving it hanging and that there's something else coming, but it's the end of a sentence. Anyway, that's enough upspeak. If I keep doing that, I'm going to get stuck in it and then I'm not going to book an audition for a month. The next thing that drives me insane and is very prevalent in the world is vocal fry. Or should I say vocal fry? If you're going to be training high school or college girls, maybe vocal fry will have a place for you. But vocal fry is that low, creaky growl sound at the end of a word. It's really, really annoying. And maybe it just annoys me, but I hear it on TV almost any time I turn it on. According to John Hopkins University, it happens when you relax your vocal cords, but you're still pushing air past them, and it causes them to continue to vibrate. And they claim vocal fry isn't bad for your vocal cords. But as I was practicing my vocal fry to do this podcast, my throat did start to hurt. Maybe it won't damage your vocal cords, but it could become a habit if you do it, and then you could cause damage to your reputation. So don't do it. And then we have the word like. And I don't, like, need to, like, tell you to, like, leave this one out. That would, like, really fit well into, like, the vocal fry conversation. All right. That is enough of all of that. I'm done. I'm done sounding weird. This is probably terrible, terrible impressions. But thank you for listening to that. And thank you for listening to episode 21. More on Who's It For Part 2, Conversational Speech. I hope you picked some good stuff up. And remember, this is all personal decisions, but 
using a little bit of this, relaxing and not being so stiff when you're recording with both your speech and your shoulders, relax those shoulders, will help you sound more connected to your script. It'll help you sound more like a person and less like a robot. Which is funny that you'd mention that. Learning Solutions. Orlando, Florida, March 26th to the 28th, 2009. I'll be there. And I am running a session titled, You're a Human, Stop Narrating Like a Robot. It's at 10 a.m. on Thursday. Come check it out. We're going to go into this kind of stuff and more, and you're going to have the opportunity to jump up in front of the class, which I know is everyone's favorite thing to do, and then also read in front of the class, which is everyone's second favorite thing to do, and then also get directed in front of a class, which is probably your third favorite thing to do in backwards world. But you don't have to get in front of the class, but I'd love to see you at Learning Solutions. If you're coming, swing by the room. You'll see me on the schedule for Thursday morning, 10 a.m. Come on in, say hi, and I'll have more stickers. It'll be great. I'm handing out stickers, talking to people, recording stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. This has been DIY Narrator episode 21, wrapping it up. For show notes, head over to DIYNarrator.com slash 021. If you have a question or if you really hated this episode, send me an email, host at DIYNarrator.com. That's all for this week. Thank you for your time. Get out there and do great work.